I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. So here's the deal. Each episode you'll hear from an inspiring creative mind, first to be interviewed and then interviewing the creative of their choice in the following episode. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. So to kick things off, we had to make an executive decision. Who best to start this relay? There was one name who not only had the credentials, but has also inspired generations of Australian creative talent. And at a major junction of his career, it felt timely to give him the honour of being our inaugural host. I'm speaking, of course, about Ant Keogh, and he's our first guest on the Creative Relay. We might as well start, Ant, and just get things going. So, Ant Keo, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to come up and chat. It's a pleasure, Paul. And be our inaugural guest <laughs> and host on the Creative Relay. Um, now, on your recent departure from Clems in Melbourne uh, as Chief Creative Officer, James McGrath, the Creative Chairman, said this. He leaves on the world-beating high of Agency of the Year at Cannes, a testament to his creative leadership and extraordinary ability. I cannot express enough the absolute privilege of working with Ant. He has made my working life an extraordinary joy. Now, coming from someone who's not renowned for their emotional outpourings, that's really a massive compliment, isn't it? Yeah, that was was really lovely of James to say that. Um, And we'd spent, I think, 15 years together. Mm -hmm. I started working at uh, Y&R with... James, then we went to George Patterson, YNO, as it merged, and then at Clemenger for 10 years. So what's that? 18 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, James taught me an awful lot in that time. Uh, he was always that sort of... He, I think he was a creative director at about 23 or something. So he had a huge job to fill, but, you know, massive kind of shoulders, really, to, to, to at a young age and... He sort of found that pretty easy, whereas I found the management side of things, for me, that was like a real learning curve. Like I, I always felt like a sort of creative guy from the get-go, but the management side of things, it was a huge learning curve. And I think through that 18 years, I kind of learnt that from James. Right. Um, yeah, not to say that I didn't learn creative things from him because that's also true, but, but that was the striking difference between us, I, I suppose, is that... He seemed to know how to do that from, you know, the get-go. Whereas for me, it was was a was my my biggest learning. Um, but um, and so we're we I left there with a lot of respect for him and the rest of the agency, and um, and obviously it was nice that he said that. Yeah, it was, return, it yeah. was a beautiful compliment, I think, mate. But um, so it seems like you know you mentioned that you work with. With, with James and, and probably a couple of the other guys um, for, for quite an extended period of time. Mm. Is is that loyalty, do you think? Is is that important to you? I think loyalty is important to me, but I don't know. I mean, it could be a Melbourne thing, you know, that the Melbourne industry is a little smaller. 
So therefore, there, there's a sort of slight gang down there, and they're not. It's it's, it's got a kind of. You know, even though these people are different agencies, there's a bunch of people that seem to stay in Melbourne there. It's a kind of collegial friendliness too. You know, my sense, and I don't know if it's true, is that that people are less competitive with each other down there than perhaps up in Sydney, but I I could be wrong. Right. I don't know Sydney. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, but but that's a very interesting perspective though, that that that's how you think it is. And I wonder if if you actually worked up here, whether you'd find the same experience and maybe it says more about you and as opposed to what it says about the Melbourne industry. Well, interestingly, there's, interestingly, there's a client loyalty. You know, there's, everyone always talks about that it's a much more transient kind of business up here. Um, I don't know if that's just because there's more business or the type of business, but there's, you know, these long-standing relationships often, you know, um, big clients like the breweries, the Holden, Mars, you know, has been with Clementer for a long time, for example. Um, why do you think that is? Yeah, any theories on that one? Because I actually hadn't ever I, thought about I that. I don't know why it is, but I've definitely noticed a lot of people speaking about it, people from Sydney talking about the transient nature of being up up here, mm. as we are in Sydney today. Mm. I think you want to, I mean, uh, no one's supposed to stay in the same way. How many jobs are we meant to have now? I read a statistic about it the other day. Everyone had supposed to have, like, 20 jobs and go through about three different genres of job or something. Mm. Whereas I've I've only been in one really my whole life, which is sort of media. Um, I guess uh, it's been a while since you applied for a job. Yeah, that's been that's <laughs> been a while. I didn't I didn't apply. That's right. That's a good point because um, when I was back way back at Wine, that was my first job with James, who we spoke about before. Um, I actually went to London for a year, and when I came back. All that crew that were at Wine, I had moved to Pat's, so I just kind of slipped back in there with with them, and then, and then Clemenger was the same thing. I just moved across pretty much with James. Um, so yes, no, I haven't applied for a job for a long time. Well, if you need some help with your CV, mate, uh, you. we'll be able to Appreciate sort it. something nice out. Um, so, but just on on your on your departure, I mean, it was it was a massive uh, bit of news, really, when mm. it came out. And I remember when I first read it, I was actually over reading over someone's shoulder, and they were on the comments section on the campaign brief blog, and. I thought you must have died. I mean, everyone was so phenomenally nice, uh, which is, you know, people only do that when people pass away. Yeah, that's right. Lifetime Achievement Awards or something. Yeah. Well, I think even Lifetime Achievement, there's always someone with a digging the knife in. Yeah. But uh, those comments, uh, the thing I noticed was, um, well, everyone put their name to it. And they were really, really just so complimentary and so positive and so so beautiful, I thought. I mean, how did that make yeah, that you feel? Great. No, I did feel good about that, actually. I think someone on there eventually commented and said, how, and that's what I noticed because, you know, someone mentioned, hey, there's no bad comments on here. And um, I thought, oh, I suppose that either Michael Lynch was editing them out, which is actually <laughs> feasible. Um, but, no, that, that was really nice. I mean... I try not to be a jerk, I suppose, you know. It, I, when it comes to my creative direction style or what, what have you, I, I try to not do things to junior people that annoyed me when I was a junior person, you know. So I don't know if that's anything 
know that stands for anything, but I was also told that, you know, that notion about being nice to people on the way up because they'll be there when you're on the way down or whatever that thing was. I mean, I only just thought of that then, but someone told me then about about my you know, third month of advertising. I think it's true. Right. Stuck with you. Well, is that? Did I say that right? Yeah, no, that's on true. Way, yeah, on the way down, they're going to be yeah. there. Yeah, right. yeah be, be nice to on the way up because you yeah. might, you'll run into them again on the way down. Yeah, yeah. So from those from those comments that I read and, and even just talking to people who've worked with you, that humility, I think, is a characteristic that people talk about all the time. And, you know, I really was interested to understand whether you've just sort of grown into that humility and you feel like you don't have to blow your own trumpet anymore because there's people lining up to blow it for you or, or whether that has been something that has been a characteristic all the, all the time. I do actually, I do have a healthy ego. Yeah. I mean, I think, think all creatives have to have a bit of an ego to, you know, there's this kind of, you have to put stuff out there and risk it being risk being humiliated. You need a certain sort of inner force to be putting out an idea in the first place. So I do, but um, yeah, it is just that thing about treating people the way you would want to be treated. Didn't Jesus say that? <laughs> well, I think Jesus I, might have said it. It was one of them. <laughs> I can't. Well, they, maybe they all say that. Yeah, I think they all kind of do say that. And now you've said it. So you're, you're in good yeah. company, mate. Uh, you know, this, this creative in- industry we're in is so driven by awards. I suppose when you've won some big awards and satisfied yourself in that way, I guess you don't feel like you have to perhaps be on everyone else's work. You know, I have a real re- kind of uh, aversion to standing there, sec, sec- Accepting awards for you know other people's work when I know they they thought of the idea or they put in the hard work I tend to not really feel great about that it's just right. it's just I, I just it's just some pathological thing I've got where I try and avoid it and that's that's I remember I once was I was in Cannes and I was winning I was the only you know person there from Clemenger and and I think we won for uh, Breakup which is NAB Breakup we won a Grand Prix. And I just felt terrible that the guys who thought of that idea weren't there. And so I remember writing a, a note, like a, getting a piece of paper and going, good on your Jules and Tom or something, so that when they and stuck it on the award, so when they took the photo, those guys would see that I was acknowledging, acknowledging them. Acknowledging them. Which is probably just unnecessary. I don't know. But I think they liked it. You know? I, I'm, I'm sure they did. And I think, you know, the, just the gesture, I mean, it's probably why people speak so kind of highly of you I'm, I'm actually catholic so maybe it's like catholic guilt, guilt. yeah it's just guilt <laughs> that's i'm sure it's not some good reason yeah it'll only be a bad reason <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly undoubtedly i mean that's, i think that's 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 really lovely that's when i was more egotistical at the time when i was the writer on a job you know like the 100 percent writer on a job or something then i noticed i was more sort of not egotistic, but I had ownership over that work more. I seem to have, I seem to connect it with the writing or right. Not that you have to be the writer, but you know the thinking of the idea. Do you and think when, when I be- used to do that, then I felt yeah. You know, then then I think I, my I was a little different. Right, and do you think that was because you perhaps invested more in it? Or yeah, really. I mean, you would you know yourself, don't you, that putting your heart and soul into it, even though it's just an ad. Yeah, you know, so you. I was very connected to those things, for better or worse. You know, those jobs that... And and, the, and those awards, for me, felt better 
however many years ago than say I won't say this year, but you know, like I just felt more connectedness to it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know that that's actually great because as a CD, you really have to be able to feel part of it. And sometimes I I was more part of it, and sometimes I was less part of it. You know, so so it just just depends on the job, really. Yeah. So speaking of awards, I mean, extraordinary achievements. So, I mean, you know, there's a list for everything, but the top ten global creative leaders who are reinventing the advertising industry, according to Adweek. Mm. That's you. Uh, ranked number one CD in Australia so many times. It's not worth mentioning. Uh, Can Agency of the Year for Clems in Melbourne, 2017. DNAD Agency of the Year. Spikes Asian number one creative agency. Campaign Brief, Australian Agency of the Year, seven years out of the last ten. So, and yeah. you're on the top of so many lists. Yeah, and that's a huge team effort. I mean, that's that's an agency doing that. That's not. That's certainly not just me. Um, but what does but, it mean to you to be pretty, to be pretty up there like you know? that? It was it was great. I mean, I think everyone at Clems, for example, and I think it goes for most good agencies. They, they they're pretty obsessive about trying to be the best. You know, it's a it's not just kind of an accident. They really go out there to do it. So, you know, that whole team of people, the whole thing was sort of firing from from the creative director through to the account service, through the production, through to the receptionist. The receptionist at Clemenger is um, really good. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the receptionist at Clemenger. But um, do you James think... For one of them. There's, a, th- there's a James at the reception and a James at, um, you know, creative chairman. Chairman. Right, <laughs> there you go. That's nice bookends. <laughs> yeah. So tell me the... Um, and you do talk about the agency striving to be the best. What, what's up, the secret? How do you it, do it? It came upon everyone as a bit of a... I mean, as, a, as much as everyone's trying to do it, like, like I said, every agency around town's trying to do it. So it's a lot of lu- luck in terms of timing. Even before my time, Clemenger was um, pretty consistently winning awards and things like that. But you just, you know, some of it's luck, just getting those few jobs all to hit at the same time. That's That was definitely part of it. You know, you get three big jobs that are winning everything and you'll, you'll start getting up near those peaks. Yeah. Um, Do you set out with, okay, we've got to get something big, something that's going to... Uh, we don't really tend to think like that. We would definitely just try and make every job count and then we would just look up at the end of the year and see what we had. That was really what we were doing. I think maybe we became a bit more conscious of it in the last few years. But even then, you're just, you're just trying to make the job in front of you as good as it can be and then the next job in as good as it can be. And you, then, you, like I said, it's luck at a certain point in the, if you get three in, a, in, a, in the space of a year that don't, because you know, sometimes it might be just one month too early or one month too late. If you happen to get those three in a year, say, some agencies do it on one in a year, you know. We know some classic cases of yeah, just one job, that's, which I think is more possible to do this now. Yeah. There's this strange phenomenon now where one job can make you agency of the year around the world. Yes. Whereas in the olden days, you know, a job couldn't win 60 lines or something. It couldn't win in so many categories. Yeah, because of the category thing. So you'd have, say you did an amazing piece, it was probably a television ad in the early days of Cannes, and you get one gold line. Yeah. I kind of feel a bit sorry for the old writers and art directors because they did a job that maybe is as good as something now, but the person now gets 60 lines. Yeah. 
Whereas they got one loan yeah. for the equivalent amount of it was worth brilliance. A, it was worth a lot more, though, back <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting, isn't it, I think? But, um, I mean, you talk about the body of work is just so phenomenal. And, you know, you could look back at, at the things that you've done. So, you know, from most recently, meet Graham, Hunger Rhythm, uh, The Boys, The Remote Control Tourist, The Magic Salad Plate, big ad, obviously. Um, my personal favourite, the um, canoe. No, canoe. The canoe. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Oh, I do you hate the canoe? No, I like canoe. Yeah? Yeah, I was thinking about canoe before because it's when I met Paul Middleditch doing that. Ad. Right. Yeah. What's your favourite? Out, uh, out of everything you've done, do you have something that you go, I mean, whether it's the work itself or whether it was the process that got you to that work? Yeah. Um, it's a boring answer, but probably it is the big ad. Yeah? It's a big ad. Yeah, it just from just before we did that, it was a, the whole campaign was potentially about to die because the manager, the marketing manager, didn't like the line made from beer, or you know. But then miraculously, so I think I had six months of worrying about this new marketing manager who turned out to be brilliant because he liked this, he liked this ad. I showed him this ad and he liked it, and it was. I don't know why. I don't know quite how it all turned around, but suddenly from hearing rumours of this thing was going to just die, we were suddenly making big ad and they were even letting us have a bit more money to make it because once they saw the idea. So from that moment onwards, it all went pretty seamlessly. Right. And I kind of had a feeling it was going to be good. Yeah? You know, before it was made, yeah. And then and then it was, uh, you know, a great success. Was there ever, was there ever any doubt? Do you think that it was going to be fantastic? Well, not for me. Sounds arrogant to say, but no, I kind of knew it was going to be good. Yeah. As long as we didn't screw it up in yeah. the making. Yeah. Yeah. And because weirdly, I made it, started making a video about it, um, which is online, to like the making of it, and um, which is sort of testament to the fact that I kind of thought there's something here. You know, this is probably going to fly. Yeah. This could work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And well it's, done for having that insight, I reckon. Well, thanks. And just that confidence. Well, well, Grant and I were lucky that we, uh, Grant Rutherford, my art director at the time, uh, we were we were lucky in that we kind of invented a campaign that was our sense of humour. Mm. You know, kind of it's just a coincidence that there was a product that happened to mesh in with our sense of humour. Mm. So we kind of wrote a space for ourselves to play in, really. Mm. And we had a great, you know, great fun and great success for those next few years, really. You mentioned earlier about uh, clients being quite loyal down there, or at least long term. Um, I mean, you've had a, an amazing relationship with the brewery, I guess. Yeah, I um, kind of switched agencies almost to follow them a bit. You know, wasn't 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 that conscious, but I just remember it thinking, geez, these, I really like working on this thing. It lets me, as I said, it sort of lets me express myself. It's not, it's not often you get to express your own sensibility so boldly. Yeah. And so it definitely was one of the factors in my, what, that made me want to go switch over to Clemenger because the, I was following the client over there. You know, I wouldn't have done it just because of that, but it was definitely a big part of it. Mm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know it's a cliched question, but I still think it's kind of interesting because... So if it didn't exist, if, if advertising didn't exist, so what do you think you, what would you be doing now? Well, for heaven's sake. 
I suppose other art things are an easy answer to that. But if I wasn't sort of handy at arty things, I think I might have gone into some something to do with psychology. Similar skill set. Yeah, it's definitely part of what we do or what we use. You know, I've been. I, I used to read. My mum had psychology books lying around, sociology. I used to sort of read them just for fun, just to see how humans worked. I think I always found humans a bit confusing, and probably myself confusing, you know, <laughs> for one reason or another. But I, I remember I used to be interested in it. Yeah, right. And yeah, and then and that sort of stuff, you know, I use to the, this day. I think some of the some of that kind of thinking. Because I find it really interesting, advertising creators, because. You know, they're a really eclectic, weird, colourful bunch of people and so many are in it because there's someone channelling their creativity, someone telling them what to do because I think generally we're we're fairly hopeless and it's really great to have someone to tell you, right, and you need to do this today. And I feel lucky that that I had a clear-cut path in a sense, just just that even when I was young I could draw. I think just because everything I do now is sort of stems from the fact that I could draw. Right. That's what it feels like since I was a little kid, you know. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Because I knew I could draw, Yeah. I learned that there was a job called... Not, I didn't know that there was advertising, but I saw... I used to have, There was this guy that lived around the corner and he. I bumped into him one time and he was a sort of graphic designer, commercial artist, it was called. His name is Norm Clifford. And he was a really good painter, and a really and he but he used to do catalogues of I think for different supermarkets he could do he could hand draw all those you know you know like a catalog now they used to all be drawn yeah I don't know if you can remember yeah but he used to be able to paint sort those. of like Bunnings now yeah a bit like Bunnings yeah. catalogs now yeah he did all those drawings and they put together different magazines and and because I saw him I realized oh there's a job for someone who can do arty things that's an actual job you know right it's a really fortuitous meeting yeah right um and from then i could sort of tell my mum that hey there's this job in art and that led to sort of pursuing those um subjects in high school and from there you know as i yeah. into, into college and da, da, da. and and that's all through the drawing so because i was an art director when i started and um and then from there i decided i want i got into screenwriting and that got me kind of into being the copywriter and the screenwriting sort of got me into film. And so I taught myself how to use cameras and that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so and that was actually going to be... And it all just leads from one thing to another. Yeah, yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions, mate, because, you know, you um, got such a diversity of skills. Um, it's really incredible. Well, I do a whole lot of things okay. Yeah, but that's, that's pretty good. It's better than doing a whole lot of things shit. You know? no, it's, it's really, really helpful to do one thing brilliantly. Yeah, right. But so artist, musician, filmmaker, writer, if you had to choose, which one were you going to go with? Is this fantasy world, is this little construct here allowing for the fact that I'd be... You can answer yeah, it two answer ways. Two okay, ways. answer it two ways. Answer, give Just me the answer. Realistically. Give me the answer realistically. Realistically, I would go for art because I know that, um, so painting, I, I get, painting, you mean? yeah, painting, yeah. Uh, and it's because I get you know, people already sort of want to pay me to you know art for them, whereas you know filmmaking, screenwriting, it's all tough. 
in terms of, you know, so I'm being very, in this particular example, I'm okay. being really so now, practical. Chuck but, realism. Okay, aside. but in this fantasy where maybe I'm, can, whatever I, imagine whatever I do, it works. Yeah. I probably almost say music, I think. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. I thought you would have thought, I, I thought you would have said film. Do you want any of them? <laughs> any of them a, is the truthful answer. And that's it, what I've always, um, that's why I've always kept those things burning, you know. If, if one of those, I always thought if I could do any of those, I'd be happy, you know. If anyone would pay me enough money to be a screenwriter, filmmaker, artist, musician, really, you know, at that point, you're, you're winning. You're rolling clover. So, Ant, it's hard for me to even fathom that you've got any regrets in terms of your career. But when you're dealing with clients, there's there's always got to be one idea that just slipped through your fingers, something that got away that you go, I really wish I'd been able to make that. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Are you going to tell us? Um, I've, I mean, there's one that's... I've got my difficult... Not difficult third album, but more my non-album, which was the... I did a campaign that it's out there. It's just no one ever saw it, and it's, for, it's a Carlton Draft campaign. It was called the Carlton Draft Tingle. Yes, remember that? Yes, I do. That was like that's a sort of disaster in that it's. I mean, I, just, I took. I'd been working for a year and a half before this campaign got out, and um, and I'd. Well, what had happened? I'd, I'd done two sort of campaigns that had got all the way to being made just about and then died. Um, one, it was Will Ferrell was in it. I would have really liked to make that. There was another one with a, a talking squirrel in it, a talking squirrel who was uh, had come in to run, not Foster's, but run a business, and he was like a maniacal boss. That, that was another one that died. Sounds As I say it out loud, it sounds like I can see why. <laughs> um and then, then finally, I'm, and that had taken at least a year or something to get those two things to be killed. The, yeah, because with the Will Fer- Will Ferrell, uh, uh, that got all the way up to nearly being made. He was he signed on, and then he signed off type of thing. Right. So it got you know you can imagine by the time you're signing on the actor, you're getting pretty far into it. Yeah. A lot of research. These things, these big big campaigns get researched like a lot. So, so yeah, I think we'd burnt a year. And then I was up to three and did that tingle thing. So, and then we made it all the way, you know, we went through all that heartache again of like researching, getting stuff approved, blah, 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 and finally made those ads. And um, and the new CEO came in, in at Foster's and just absolutely hated them. And to cut a long story short, they, they kind of never really ran. They ran online a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I guess what's, you know, a little frustrating about that is they were, they're kind of essentially a jingle and they were just meant to be heard a few times. See that man driving his car right over a hill, right over a hill. It gave him a feeling right in his ghoulies. It's the Carlton Duff tingle, the Carlton Duff tingle. That in the, you know, when they're heard a few times, it was amazing how people were just saying, like, I cannot get that song out of my head. You know, so I knew that in, on a commercial level, they would have. I'm pretty sure they would have worked. They just weren't given the opportunity. Yeah, and they're, but they're very polarising ads. Like, some people just hate them, some people love them. They researched them again, I think, three three years later or something um, to see if they could run them. And they researched better. They, 
and they research well with young people, but research really badly with old people. Right. But nevertheless, just the fact that they were this sort of earworm thing, yeah, you know, made me feel like even if people hate it, it'll sort of work. Give it a go. So I just kind of wished it got out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, funnily enough, I just did an ad for BCF recently. I was going to mention. Which has, you know, a very sim- similar jingle. Bomb, crab and fishing, it's BCF and fun. Camping on a mountain, not fishing in the sun. Cooking. It repeats yeah. the brand about 10 times in the space of 30 seconds, just like the Carlton Draft Tingle did. You know, and, and, um, and I didn't really realise the parallel between those two, but but they are kind of similar. Yeah, very much so. I didn't so. think about it until the other day. Yeah, because I was, yeah. was going to ask you about yeah. BCF because... Well, and their I, sales are apparently up, up a lot. I would have thought so. I would <laughs> yeah. have thought so. so I mean, yeah. it, it's amazing, isn't it? Because things just do go out of fashion so much. And, you know, for a long time there, the jingle was just, you, you can't do yeah. that. I yeah, mean, I quite like, like doing things that are... Yeah. Out of fashion. Oh, well, the, you've got to bring them <laughs> back. And I don't know, I, I, I look at people from, from that era, you know, like Mo and Joe, and yeah. know, there, there was a real skill in being able to do that. that so it's just bad enough. <laughs> so what advice do you give creatives? And, you know, uh, I think a lot of the time we sort of worry about the, the really young guys on things. Yeah. I'm kind of more interested in the people who have invested 10 years of their life in working in agencies or working yeah. in the creative field. And they're just at that point we're going, do I really commit to this? Am yeah. I going to go the whole way with this? What sort of advice do you give to those guys? It's a very personal thing though, isn't it? I mean, you can't, you can't it's hard to tell someone whether they uh, should be doing something or shouldn't be doing it. But if they do want to do advertising, then... I tell the very young ones to get inside somewhere and make yourself invaluable. Mm. That's what advice I was told when I was like really junior, and um, and I kind of tried to do that by and large. But yeah, it's tricky with the people that are older. I mean, it's about two years before I did Carlton Draft. Uh-huh. I was told by Ted Horton, "You better freaking do some ads that your clients know about because soon everyone's going to be freelance." And you better do some some like ads that seem like they sold something. You know, I thought that was pretty good advice. That was uh, great advice and advice well ahead of its time. Yes, was well ahead of its time, and you know, because I think now people are becoming freelance. And this was this was twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like that. I'm really curious about your personal projects that you work on and how you've managed to be so prolific when you've got a day job. I used to just do it. I used to be pretty relentless about it um, way back before I had a child. Um, just spend all my holidays doing it. And then, uh, like, I'd spend the four, you know, three weeks or whatever I had at Christmas time just, say, painting. And then that would give me a bit of a burst where I could keep it up on weekends and at night time. And it would, you know, it would sort of peter away again. And then I'd have another big burst whenever. Was it, just, was it just feeding a different side of you or something because you think like spending all yeah. day just being creative at work yeah on someone Such else's a different coin. type of creativity because paintings sitting around with music on loud yeah right just paint you know i don't know it seems quite different to me right than sitting there furiously trying to solve a problem right it's a much more relaxing thing so yeah for me that was r- relaxing but I, I do remember sitting there one summer and all my friends had gone down to the beach and i was sitting there thinking man i'm really like putting out here 
Like all those guys are having fun and I'm being an artist. I hope this artist thing pays off one day. <laughs> Do you feel it has? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there's still time, man. There's still time. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so, like, at work you get clients approving your jobs, you get awards, you get pay rises, you get all this external validation. Do you need that external validation in your personal projects? Do you look for it? Yeah, I think whenever you try and write a song or do a piece of art or something, you do want someone to see it. But I don't always get it. I haven't. I don't know. I'm actually really bad at that bit. I'm really good at working hard and doing the work. I'm quite. I'm quite hopeless at getting it out into the world. Final question: The making a movie of your life. Yeah. What genre? Hopefully not a tragedy. <laughs> I think it'll be a dull movie, but it'll be some kind of drama. Do you think drama? I would have gone comedy. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I know why you're saying that, but my life doesn't isn't that funny. Right. You know, I wish it. I wish it, I wish I could say a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I'd probably say I don't know, kind of European style, like very slow drama. <laughs> <laughs> on SBS at 3, 3 a.m. Right, okay, very slow build. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to be committed to Like a to Russian it. drama or something. Yeah, okay, cool. No, I don't know. Yeah, certainly comedy is something I try and, I don't know, it's definitely part of me. Yeah, it seems it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, mate, um, it's been really, really wonderful chatting to you. Thank it's you. been great. Um, Good to chat to you. Too. Now, as part of this whole creative relay thing, you know, the vibe is all about mm. inspiring creatives, getting to chat to a mm. creative that inspires them. So you've selected someone that you're going to chat to next time, and we thought that rather than you just telling us that, mm. you could give us a hint as to who this person okay. is. So have you got a clue for us? He's a British person. It's a he, which narrows it down not at all because there are so many British people in Australian advertising. Um, been out here about 20 years. Again, thank you so much, Ant, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com, made by our good friends at Macadamia Digital, where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. I'll be back next time with Ant and his guest. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like, and rate us. See you next time. (laughs) 